Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Hopefully, you guys have been digging on everything that we've been putting out. A lot of variety lately. Dr. Don, manipulation under anesthesia. What else did we do we had recently? Reza, the hypnotherapist. Yeah, hypno hypnotherapist. Man, I, I don't think I'm hypnotizable. That's why I <laughs> that one. <laughs> I feel like I'm just I recapping am. everything to figure out, like, hey, which ones did we do? And then a lot of COVID-related people who are you know, determined to stay open, people who are closing their doors. Some people, sad stories. Some sad stories, some, yeah. Some happy stories out of those two. And I think today is, uh, again, a little bit different. We have a registered massage therapist and labor support doula on the phone. Her name is Lindsay. She's also in the east end of Toronto, not quite as far east as we are. But anyway, Lindsay reached out to us because since we've been not working, she's been listening to a lot of episodes. And she has an interesting story about how she got into massage therapy. And although it has some, I don't know what the right word I want to use here. There's some darkness or sadness in the story. It's it's actually a very uplifting and positive story. And we thought this might be a good time to put that in because I think people are getting kind of sick of hearing only about COVID, right? Um, I don't know. I feel like RMTs are really strange sometimes though. I feel like they just like to talk about something. So, you know, first it was what's essential massage when the college says no essential massages or what no essential services or whatever the case is. They broke us up into yeah, essential, yeah. non-essential. And then there was a, a, a whole bit about, well, why aren't we essential or what's emergency care? And then it was, okay, well, the government's going to support you with CERB. Well, then it's like, well, is the CERB enough? How long is it going to last? And now that things then are starting to open relief. up. Yeah, then it was rent relief. And now that things are opening back up, it's like, well, is this too quick for us? And then the college sent out, the CMTO, the College of Massage Therapists of Ontario, sent out a draft uh, a draft document about what would be expected of the industry post COVID. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole bunch of discussion on that. So uh, RMTs, you, you all keep me entertained. That's for freaking sure. <laughs> and uh, I have to thank you because you guys are great. I love yeah. it. Well, let's get our guest to introduce herself. So Lindsay, thanks for chatting with us this afternoon. Why don't you let everybody know um, who you are, a little bit about yourself, about your practice when we were practicing, and uh, we'll go from there. Awesome. Well, thank Thanks so much for having me. Um, it's awesome to be here. Uh, so yeah, um, I have been a massage therapist for almost five years. Um, it'll be five years this summer, um, which seems like a huge milestone for me because this is the longest I've ever really stuck with something. So I feel like that is saying something for myself. Um, so graduated in 2015, worked for a little bit in Ontario. Where'd you go to school? Where'd you go to school? I went to Sutherland Champ. Ah, did you hear the news yeah. lately? Yesterday? CCMH, uh, Toronto CCMA? campus and uh, Cambridge campus yes. closed down? Yeah. Yeah, that was totally wild. Um, and I mean, I don't really follow what's going on at CCMH, but I know they're they're a big one. Yeah, so it was it's crazy. I was very, very surprised. Yeah, they're like yeah. a long-standing legacy school. There's a campus in Halifax. There's a campus in BC, and then they had their Cambridge campus and the Toronto campus, and the the Toronto and Cambridge campus yeah. closed. And I feel horrible for all those students that are left going, yeah. "What the heck?" COVID hit, and then they can't go back to school, and now there is no school to go back to. It's like whenever it's closed down, you know, those students must be like, "What the hell is going on?" But at least they had the opportunity to go into schools and call school and talk to admission representatives and stuff like that. These guys don't have the opportunity to do anything because schools, for the most part, they're closed down right now. Yeah. And the staff, yeah. oh, we know people that are like full-time staff and yeah. like this is their job. And they woke up to an email saying, you know what? You don't have a job anymore. We're closed down. And it was like as of like effective immediately, right? So it's not even like there's going to be a period of transition. It's just like, yeah, we're done. I'm assuming that the school will help students find other places to finish their programs? I assume I saw that a couple happen. of things. I saw that there was an email sent to the students from the president saying that there would be assistance for them and right. lining them up with other educational institutes to finish their program. And then I saw um, another post from somebody who said it's actually the school's obligation to do so. I don't know how true that is. Mm. It's somebody that had worked for the college previously so I believe that what she's saying is accurate, but I, I don't know. For CCMH you mean? Yeah. Or, okay, that they're, not the regular College. No, no, no. The regulatory college. Oh, she gotcha. worked for CMTO, and she... honestly, I don't, I don't even think it's a CMTO thing at all. I think it would be a Ministry of Education thing, and what are the requirements there mm -hmm. more than anything else? Anyway, back to Lindsay. So you went to Sutherland <laughs> Chan, not CC. I didn't even go to CCMH, but yeah. I am actually feeling very sad about that news because 
that was one of the biggest massage schools. But Sutherland Chan as well. We have had many, many participants take our courses from Sutherland Chan, and they produce some good therapists. And sit on the podcast, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, yeah, I have no connection to CCMH, but I was very, very sad to hear that. Um, and it's, I think it's been around longer than Sutherland Chan yeah, as it's well. Been around, yeah. It's been around for a really long time. So, so yeah, that was really sad to, to get that notification yesterday. But yeah, so I went to Sutherland Chan um, and then I practiced in Ontario for a little bit before my partner and I decided to move out west. Um, and I went and lived on Vancouver Island for two and a half years and I practiced there. Um, out of a midwifery clinic, um, that was kind of, I knew from school that I always wanted to work with the prenatal and postpartum population. Um, and I, it was very, I mean, I, I don't know if I like using the word fate, but it seemed like fate when I saw that this, um, midwifery clinic, um, was looking for, for some RMTs and there were some other RMTs there. There was an acupuncturist there. Um, kind of right when we moved. Mm-hmm. And so I worked there uh, for the entire duration that we lived out in BC. Did you have that job lined up before you left or you, no, you found that when you were there? I found that when I was there, but like I started looking kind of as soon as we got there. Um, and I found it before I, and I got the job even before I got my license there, even before I fully transferred everything over. Can you give me the quick and dirty on how easy or difficult it is to go from one regulated province to the next? It was so easy. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it was really easy. I mean, it's a lot of paperwork, but um, I found it really easy. I I found it quite simple. So uh, basically, I just had to prove that I was in good standing with the CMTO, that I went to an accredited school. I had, I think I had to get three or four character references from people that had known me for over two years. Um, and then I had to prove that I had liability insurance and then I just had to do a, a jurisprudence course and yeah, then right. take a, juris, a proctored jurisprudence exam when, while I was there. Um, so from start to finish, it took me about a month That's to get. That's not bad. No, so it wasn't bad at all. And I will say that the CMTBC is much more responsive than the CMTO. <laughs> mm, um, so they know. so they made it they made it very very easy um to switch over so yeah um that was that and i was just inactive in ontario while i was there because we kind of always anticipated on coming back we just didn't know when mm-hmm. and then i got super homesick um it's it's bc is very far from family and friends and even though mountains and ocean are great and i had a thriving practice there i was really busy i had started offering labor supports and that was taking off um, the midwives were sending me people left right and center it was great um but i i missed home um and so yeah we came back here we came back here in june of 2018 and i've been working in the east end ever since and doing yeah mostly with pregnant and postpartum people and offering labor support and yeah it's it's been awesome you know how sometimes you say to our guests mark that like for example when we had mj on and she worked with athletes and she had to leave it and you're like you had somebody's dream job and you left it as i'm listening to Lindsay talk about you know living in bc and working with the midwives and offering labor support and you know just focusing on prenatal and postpartum whatever i'm like man you had my dream job and you left it (laughs) had you been out to bc before like why bc yeah i wondered the same yeah so my partner did his master's out there actually he went to the university of victoria and so he was living out there for two years while i was in massage school so we were doing the long distance thing um and so i would go out and visit i went out and visited him several times and yeah when we both finished like we finished at the same time and he wasn't ready to come back yet uh and i was like well twist my rubber arm like mountains and ocean and i knew what i was getting myself into because i had been there a lot and knew that i loved bc a friend of mine we hiked the West Coast Trail. Like I knew how beautiful it was. He came back here for a little bit. We traveled Europe for six weeks and then we moved out there right after Christmas. We drove across the country in the middle of winter, which I would not recommend. No, no, that seems like a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, not Canada. That seems like a bad idea unless it's like the middle of summer. <laughs> yeah. Seems yeah, like a bad idea. No, it was it was very cold. It was I mean, we lucked out in that we didn't run into any massive storms or anything, but I will say when it's 
snowing and it's pitch black and you're driving on the Copahalla, which is a big highway in BC, it's quite terrifying. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound like something I'm gonna I'm gonna do. Well, so you've you... done stuff like that. I mean, you've been on twisty mountains in the in tropical rainstorm in Trinidad before. And I was <laughs> shitting my pants. Mud, I was not. Slides, I was not slides. enjoying myself as your uncle was just driving like there was <laughs> driving no, casually. Like he's just driving. <laughs> like I mean, for him, it's like everyday life, right? And he's just well, driving around these twisty mountains and the roads there are so narrow there's a car coming at us and i'm like is anybody gonna move it's like a constant game of chicken in this country i was fucking terrified <laughs> yeah that sounds terrifying did you spend any time in victoria victoria's the capital right yes that's where that's where we live do me a yeah. favor compare and contrast toronto and victoria let's paint the picture oh my gosh victoria uh, victoria definitely doesn't have the diversity like that toronto has like toronto victoria is full of a lot of retired white people um <laughs> <laughs> um but i mean it's very low-key the rumors are true like it's island life is a lot slower the air is so much cleaner it smells sweeter the sounds are better it's a pretty magical place but everything goes to bed pretty early yes yes i mean unless you want pizza you can't really get any takeout past six or seven Hmm. which would always be tough for me sometimes because i uh would be coming home and I usually worked in the evenings, um, so I would work until eight or nine and then, yeah, trying to find because I would be too lazy to make food when I got home. So I would get take out a lot. My options were very limited. That's part of why anytime that Mark and I casually discuss moving out of Toronto, not for the takeout. I mean, I framed that wrong, but (laughs) I've, I've lived in a busy city. Like I've lived in Toronto my entire life other than the four years I was in London, Ontario going to Western. And I mean, London is not a small little town either. It's it's still a city. So I've only ever really understood city life. Even the suburbs are busy. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. when, when we casually talk about moving out of Toronto one day, because I think we likely will at some point in our life, um, I suddenly but get scared. When I scared. become old and white, I'm going to Victoria. When you become old and white, <laughs> you might already be there, buddy. I I'm don't sorry. know if I can get that white part <laughs> down. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. Your favorite foods are like lasagna and shepherd's pie. I don't know. I think you're pretty white. Because that, that <laughs> first of all. There are a few really amazing Italian restaurants in Victoria, actually, and have really good lasagna. That makes saying. sense to me because I like food where I don't have to fight with it. I can just put something on my fork and put it in my mouth and chew and swallow. Like that's my favorite yeah. type of stuff. So it also <laughs> happens to be stuff that's circular in shape, rectangular, square. <laughs> <laughs> if I try to like do something creative and, you know, I find like a recipe for some kind of curry or whatever, he's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Just no. make, make a lasagna. What are you doing? Lasagnas and casseroles. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm okay with that. But See, then, you, you know, are already an old white guy. But then I also like to get the chopsticks out and uh, go to true. town, right? That's true. So you yeah. guys came back in 2018, which actually lines up with when our podcast started. Just saying. You came back at the exact <laughs> time that we started our broadcast. Um, and when you came back here, did you already have a job lined up or did you have to come back and then again try to figure out your life? Um, so I did kind of have a job lined up. I had a few clinics that I knew I wanted to reach out to because I knew they primarily served the population I wanted to work with. Um, and then an old friend of mine from Sutherland Chan, she worked at this clinic and reached out to me um, saying, I know you're coming back. Are you looking for work? The, the clinic that I'm working at, like their full-time RNT is going to be leaving um, at the beginning of July. And um I think you'd be a really good fit. And uh, it's owned by a chiropractor. She's a doula. She primarily works with pregnant postpartum people, lots of babies. Like it's a very family centered clinic. Would you be interested? I can put you two in touch. Um, I said, absolutely. And so um, I kind of, d- I did a video call with the owner and we kind of chatted and, you know, we kind of, we dug each other. And so um, we just kind of set up uh, an opportunity for me to come and see the clinic once I got here. Um, but she was already, she's like, unless something drastic changes, like we'd love to have you on board. And so I came and I saw the place and it, and it worked out and I interviewed with some of the other clinics and I didn't connect as well as I did with, with the clinic that I'm at. So, so short answer, kind of, but it wasn't. (laughs) 
Well, that sounds so perfect that you came back to literally a job that was almost created for you, right? In your niche. And that's amazing. Is it common that doulas also have some sort of other regulated profession that they're associated with? Like we know a handful of massage therapists that are doulas. And then I think the person you just mentioned was a chiropractor, right? Yeah. Is that common? Are you asking me or are you asking me? I'm asking anyone that knows the answer. Well, I will say from my own experience, uh, because I took a labor support and doula training, but specifically for RMTs, there are a lot of doulas that are not massage therapists or chiros or whatever that does exist. I think- So more of doulas are not. um, I, I don't know the numbers. I'm just saying there's a lot that are not. But when I was taking the course, I actually realized what a benefit it is to have a doula who also- already has some sort of experience in manual therapy, like a chiropractor. Like I, I feel like if I were to want to hire a doula, I would be attracted to, and maybe it's because I'm biased, but I'd be attracted Probably. to a massage therapist or chiropractor doula. I don't know. What about you, Lindsay? What do you think in your experience? Yeah, I'd have to agree with, with that, Amanda. I definitely would say that there are more doulas that are not, um, you know, they don't have, they're not also regulated health professionals. Um, but it's definitely a plus. I mean, a lot of people that hire me, when I ask them, how did you hear about me? They they say, oh, I just, I knew I wanted an RMT doula. And so I Googled and I found you. Nice. Um, mm-hmm. So so it's definitely a plus. I, I've i met a lot of chiropractor doulas. I've met some naturopaths that are also doulas. That's cool. Not many acupuncture or physio right. doulas. No, I don't um, think I mean, I'm sure any. they, I'm sure they exist, but I would say, I would agree with Amanda where there are some, but most. Um, are are either just doulas or you know they're doula and lactation consultants. Right. Um, yeah. So which was first for you, RMT or doula? RMT. So I found out what a do. I didn't know what a doula was until I was in massage school. We were taking the pregnancy course, and my teacher at the time was also a doula, and she told me what it was, and I was like, "Excuse me, are you telling me that people will pay me to be at their birth and support them?" And she's like, yes, that sounds incredible. Yeah. So it was, it was very quick and simple. And it was, I was like, yep, okay, that sounds amazing. Sign me up. And so, yeah, sign me up, basically. <laughs> where, where do I sign? And so I chatted with her a little bit. And so it was always in the plan and then went to BC and I was just felt like I graduated and I'm like, I just, I'm just going to focus on massage right now. I don't want to take on too much. Um, and so I did that. Yeah. But then I started having massage clients at my clinic in Victoria. Um, which was also my dream job, Amanda. It was so hard to walk away from that job. I just wanted to I can't imagine. It sounded incredible. I was like imagining myself there, massaging pregnant women, overlooking mountains, and then coming to their birth and then meeting their babies. I I was like, oh, this sounds incredible. I know. I, I I still miss it. I mean, I'm very happy at the clinic that I'm at right now, but man, that was a hard job to leave. And I still I still get wistful about it sometimes. But oh. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, so massage clients just started asking me like, so will you come and massage me while I'm in like while I'm giving in labor? And uh, so it was just kind of I was like, all right, I guess this is the universe telling me that this is the time. So I went and I did a donut workshop, which is four day a four day workshop. And then I attended my first few births, and I realized it realized I needed I needed more training, like I wanted more. So I went and I did more training. I did like a sixteen week course, and yeah, it's just kind of been full steam ahead from there. I just birth and babies. Amazing. Yeah. Does the universe talk to you a lot? Does the universe talk to me a lot? Yeah. No. No. I mean, that's twice you kind of went that route. Like you went to BC and you got this job, and there's a little bit of fate involved in that. And now the universe is talking to you. Just curious. Because the universe doesn't talk to me at all. That's not true. Really? I don't feel like it does. It's maybe if maybe it's not the way you look at. I mean, hence the universe doesn't talk to you. Yes. Yeah. I guess the universe doesn't talk to you then. But I know for for me, I've said multiple times that I'm. I'm a type of person that follows my instincts. Like I can walk into a place and on paper, everything might seem like this is what I should be doing or this is the direction I should take. But something is telling me, no, it isn't. Don't do it. And I tend to listen to that. And somehow when I do listen to that, so, opportunities come out of the sky. Okay, got it, got it. <laughs> it's instinct. Yeah, it's I the guess universe. I should say maybe my intuition more, more so than like the universe talking to me. I've never been one to really believe in like fate and all that stuff, but maybe I use those words be- because that's how a lot of people 
that's those are very common. Yeah, I don't know. I was just curious that, pe- that people describe describe kind of that like serendipitous. Yeah. Or like, oh, this is almost exactly. like it just it just fell into place. Exactly, because I don't feel like a lot of that stuff happens to me. That's why I was curious if like mm. that is that something that tends to happen with you quite a bit. And I know it happens with you a lot, Amanda. So yeah, yeah. I'd say those were the two like big things because they just they they have shaped like the past five years of my life and i mean for for the foreseeable future you know that's going to be my professional trajectory so Mm. well let's actually talk about the real reason that you reached out to us because you had a very um unique story about getting into massage therapy we ask people all the time what got you interested in massage and a lot of times it's you know people had some sort of injury so they had a positive experience with massage or you know and a lot of people it's a second or third career and again it's usually based on something where they needed body work done and realize that massage therapy could be a career or if you're nikki then it's oh money jobs yeah exactly but you had i actually went to school with nikki funnily enough Nikki is my classmate. Oh, that's funny. So yeah, you know, Nikki was, you know, she's no nonsense and she's practical in her approach where it's like, this career makes sense to me because people are always going to need it. Touch is essential, although right now we're not allowed to touch each other, but it's, she wanted the job security and she saw the potential to make money. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. For Nikki, it's definitely the music, right? (laughs) So in your case, you had a different a different route that brought you to massage. So why don't we start with what were you actually doing right before you decided to go to massage school? What was your previous career? You said you had a few. Um, So I went to school for theater studies um, and I was going, I had dreams and aspirations of being a playwright. Um, And so when I finished university, I came to Toronto. I migrated here with all the other theater grads from University of Guelph and uh, I was going to do that. Um, but I was working a day job. I was uh, working as a manager at a canoe and kayak specialty store in Etobicoke. Mm. Um, and then I kind of had like a quarter life crisis and did a solo trip out east for six weeks. And then I came back and massage was my answer. That's what I was doing before massage. Before I had my profound experience with massage, I never would have thought that I'd be a massage therapist. It was never in my in my wheelhouse at all. So. so let's talk about the quarter life crisis, because I'm assuming based on the email that you sent me, that's sort of how this whole journey started was this quarter life crisis. Were you actually 25? I always uh, I always assume quarter life to be 25, but that's assuming we're going to live to 100. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I guess I wasn't because I or maybe I was. How old am I now? Yeah, it was like 24, 25, I guess. Okay. Maybe around there. All right. So around that time, what was going on in your life? Um. So hmm, right at that point, what was going on in my life was I was at working a job that I didn't like. Um, I wasn't fulfilled in it. Um, a relationship ended that I thought was going to be it. And uh, that was a very triggering experience. And... Yeah, so I was just kind of falling into myself and I was very, very sick and very unhappy. Um, so I'll kind of go, maybe I should go back to make, have that all make sense. Maybe I'll go way back to the beginning. Sure. And the reason why I, why I emailed you and thought that this could be an interesting thing to talk about. So I, I struggled with an eating disorder for a very long time. I think, um, I first started restricting when I was around 11 years old um, and all the way up until my early to mid 20s, I was symptomatic um, and yeah, I, I was I was quite sick for a really long time. Uh, it peaked mostly in university and then once I moved out on my own in Toronto and trying to figure out who I was, I were, there were a lot of stressors, a lot of triggering things and so uh, when I had that quarter life crisis, I would say that I was, you know, at the peak of, of being sick. Um, the store that I worked at, the canoe and kayak store that I worked at, I was doing a lot of like lifting heavy boats. And so I hurt my back and my boss told me I should go get a massage. And I had never had a massage before. I, I, um, had been to physio before, but, uh, manual therapy wasn't, wasn't an experience I had. I didn't have a lot of experience with it, um, but he told me to go get it. He's like, I'll pay for it just to go. Um, but given my history and given that I was 
you know, pretty deep in this eating disorder. I was really nervous about it and having a lot of anxiety about that. And so I went and I made the massage therapist treat me over my clothes. And, uh, but it was, but after that treatment, I don't remember the treatment very much because I was very much like having an anxiety attack a lot of, like for a lot of it. Cause mm-hmm. I was like, this is a whole new experience. Someone is touching my body and this is really, really strange. But, uh, afterwards I had a very like feel, feeling of being very grounded, very calm. And I mean, my back did feel better, but there was just something deeper that had happened kind of once I got off the table and left the clinic. I decided I'd go back and I'd let her actually treat me skin to skin. And so I went and I saw her again and it was. It was the same thing. It was a little bit easier, but afterwards getting off the table and feeling that connection with my body, she was very, she used a lot of like Swedish techniques. She was very like relaxation based as well, more so than sports therapy. She was very much Swedish and at least that's what she was doing for me. And, and yeah, it was a really fantastic experience of, Hey, I'm connecting to my body. And I remember one time getting off the table and my stomach growled and I wanted to feed myself. Like I wanted, I was actually hungry and I was going to, my body was telling me it was hungry and I was going to listen to it because I felt connected to that need. And that's a need that I had completely shut off for so long, for as long as I could remember at that point, that was just a need that I constantly would shut down. And so I thought to myself, this could be, this could be something. And then when I kind of that relationship ended and I went and I went on this like soul searching trip for six weeks out east, I, I started thinking, what do I want to do with my life? And I was thinking of the, the, the impact these massage treatments had had on my mental health and, and in turn, like my physical health, because I was starting to feel stronger because I was, you know, things were coming together and I, and I was slowly starting to eat again when you don't eat for almost a decade. It's very hard to just go back, suddenly go to eating mm-hmm. regular amounts. But, um, and so, yeah, I just decided that, hey, if massage could do this for me, this has been, you know, profound and incredible. Like maybe, maybe I could do this for, for other people and help other people that way. And so I came back and I started looking at massage schools and like it all happened quite, it feels like it happened really fast. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I literally have goosebumps right now listening to you. And I know Mark has a billion questions. He's like, he's exploding right now. So I'm going to let him talk. (laughs) I'm also vaping. So I might not remember them all. Okay, go. Um, when you're sick, do you know you're sick? Um, for the longest time, I didn't. Um, I mean, I was 11 years old. I didn't even know what an eating disorder was. Right. It, it wasn't until it wasn't until like university that I really that I told that I realized that I was sick, and I was like, okay, Lindsay, you need to you need to do something about it. And that's when I started getting getting help. Lindsay, who did you live with when you were 11? Um, I lived with my parents and my and my four siblings. So you had a house full of people. Did anybody recognize, like, did anybody notice Lindsay doesn't really eat or Lindsay's, you know, losing weight or like, was there any, any clues for your family or were you able to keep this to yourself for all that time? Um, what if people noticed it, they didn't really, they didn't say anything. Um, I, I love my family. My family is very supportive. But growing up, I feel like I lived in the household where nobody really argued. You know, you, every you kind of if there was an issue, it was kind of swept under the rug, and it's like kind of a don't ask, don't tell, conflict-free zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean that's definitely bled into my adulthood. Like I hate conflict, and I try to avoid it at every possible moment. But uh, if my mom listens to this, she's probably going to be very sad to hear that. But that that's the truth. Like I, 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 there were four other siblings. I was the middle child. Um, and so nobody really noticed. I was also a figure skater as well. And mm. so maybe people just figured like, oh, you know, she's, you know, I was skating a lot more, which also doesn't help with the whole body image thing. Um, right. uh, figure skaters are supposed to be, yeah. you know, quote unquote, supposed to be tiny. Um, we had another, another former figure skater on who also struggled with an eating disorder while 
she was um, an athlete. Yeah, because, and that was a big part of it, actually, for her. Yeah, from what I remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's that's the type of sport that your physical appearance is brought up. It's not you know just enough for you to be strong and have the endurance. You have to look. If a certain I'm remembering way. correctly, her coach flat out said, "Go lose weight." Go lose weight. Yeah, and she yeah. was she was probably a young kid like you were. Yeah, like especially once you start do like learning the bigger jumps, they're like you need to be light in order mm. to in order to get get the height and get the rotation um so so yeah it it definitely didn't help I was also bullied a lot like when I was 11 and 12 um I started getting bullied quite relentlessly and so that didn't and it was over my looks and so that also played a huge role so I just developed a lot of anxiety as a child a lot of depression and I think my eating disorder was like my way to to medicate myself in a way like who bullies you is it is it little boys little girls everybody both both yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah um i i remember i decided to cut my hair very short i decided i i had just seen ghost and i wanted my hair to look like Demi anymore i remember that and so i went and the hairdresser was like are you sure because i have very thick very frizzy kind of hair and uh she was like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, do it. And so my hair very much like poofed out. And so, and it didn't suit me. It didn't look great. Um, and so, yeah, I got bullied by girls, by boys. Um, yeah, it wasn't, I remember one day on the school bus, you know, them taking a poll, like raise your hand if you hate Lindsay. I had garbage thrown at me. Like it was bad. Like it was, yeah. It, kids it's are, hard to go kids back. are the fucking there, worst, but... man. I grew up in a house yeah. where I have, I have a younger sister and she was severely bullied, like to that extent that you're describing. And it started when she was probably like nine or 10, you know, like these are, these are little kids and uh, the school was absolutely no help. I don't know if anything has changed these days or if it's worse or it's bad. I really don't know. It's probably and, changed a lot since. But at that time, it was the it was the same thing. She would, was bullied for things that were obviously beyond her control. She was actually, um, she had to have chemotherapy when she was in, I think, I want to say grade six. And so, you know, her hair started to fall out, but it didn't all fall out. Just the texture of it changed and it got very frizzy. And, you know, she looked... She looked sick, right? She, well, I mean, she Mm. was sick. And I remember one year they did like a secret Santa in her class. And because of, you know, her frizzy hair, her dry skin, all of that, which were all side effects of the chemotherapy, the person who got her a secret Santa bought her dandruff shampoo that she had to open up in front of the entire class. You know, like this, at that age, kids don't even, I think, think about the effect you're actually having on somebody's mental health. Like you went and got a haircut because you wanted to look like somebody who everybody thought was this gorgeous, beautiful woman. And then it didn't work out that way. And now people are picking on your hair and it somehow it affected you in such a way that then you thought your entire appearance was wrong and you needed to you know, do something. I don't what, like, did you have body image issues at that age? Was it like, did you think that you were overweight or was, was it like you said, the eating disorder was sort of a way for you to cope with all of the other shit? I think it started with, cause I was like, okay, I can't make my hair grow any faster. I can't change. The only thing I could change was how much I weighed. Mm-hmm. It was the one thing that I could control. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, I was like, okay. And again, like I didn't even, I didn't even know what an eating disorder was. I didn't know what anorexia nervosa was. I just thought, I just knew like, okay, we eat food and there's, there's fat and food or whatever. Like, and so I, my 11 year old brain was like, okay, so if I don't eat, then I'll, then I'll lose weight. So, you know, I was throwing out the lunches my mom would pack for me or I'd hide them in my room. I do remember one day my mom finding like five moldy sandwiches in my desk drawer in my bedroom and her being all up her being more upset that I was that I had wasted the food than asking like what's this all about Mm -hmm. Um, like I said we were in a sweep under the rug family and my mom's great we have a really wonderful relationship and we've talked about this um that you know I felt like there were a lot of signs and it was kind of ignored Uh, I do remember when I was 17 yeah, 16, 17, telling my mom I wanted to talk to somebody, um, like a therapist. And she said I didn't need that. And that was the end of the conversation. So so you did recognize when you were high school that this isn't quite normal. Like you knew there was something yeah. going on with you. 
Did you ever at any point see a therapist or have counseling before university? No. Okay. No. I felt like I was at, you know, the mercy of of my parents and uh I they it I I didn't really know where to go or who I could talk to about that. So I just figured okay, this is just something I have to I have to deal with. I just all I knew was that I was really unhappy. Um I had a lot of anxiety. I was definitely depressed and yeah, like my eating disorder was my way was my way to cope. Um and I it was mostly I was mostly restricting what food I ate, but I also try I you know I would also eat and then purge because when you when, you know we'd have family dinners and then I wouldn't want to eat it so I would eat so that nobody would suspect anything and then I would go and I would throw it up after looking back at this now and you have a you have a good relationship with your folks I'm assuming there was a point in your life when you realized holy fuck I have an issue here and there were so many goddamn signs that I had an issue and no one picked up on those signs. Like, did you experience that part? And if you did, how long were you in this part? And is this like an angry thing? Is this a disappointing thing? Is this a, is this a, I don't trust thing? Um, so I, I did have that moment. I actually, when I was in, when I was in university, I was seeing a therapist and he directed me to a group, to group therapy, which was, which was awesome. Um, we were in a session and I was just talking and I can't remember exactly what I said. Um, and the facilitator, or I said something like, I don't want to ever have to need anybody. And she's just like, why do you think you feel that way? And I was basically like, because I've just been, because I've been dealing with my shit my, all by myself. Um, and so, and that's what I know. Uh, and that's, you know, you, you you become comfortable with being sick. And I didn't at that point, I mean, I was 20 years old, 21. Like I didn't know who I was without being sick, without my eating disorder. So I was just like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to need anybody. I'd rather just, you know, come here, deal with my shit on my own and get better on my own. And I, and then I realized, Oh, it's probably because I was forced to, because Mm -hmm. nobody ever, reached out to me and let me lean on them let me need them um and so I don't I wouldn't say that I was mad um I was I was very sad about it and I felt very overwhelmed about it and then I wrote a play about it (laughs) and my parents came to the play and uh so we had a we had a really good talk after that, and I know my mom had a really hard time coming to terms, like, and you know, lots of feelings of guilt. Did they know that's what the play was about, or they found out like there? Um, I think I kind of gave them a vague, a vague. Okay, so it's about it's about an eating disorder. At that point, my parents knew that I was having a hard time. I just don't think they realized how intense it was. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I was never angry at them. I don't like. I don't remember ever feeling angry. I just remember just feeling sad about it. You know, all I'm thinking of right now is like, as a parent, I feel like if I was your mom and found that out, I would start replaying like so many things in my head. Like, was that a sign? What should I have done? I can't imagine like seeing that on stage and realizing, fuck, it was in front of my face because I had a friend reach out to me in university and it was somebody I had been friends with for a long, long time. And she finally admitted to me in university that she also had been struggling with an eating disorder. And I mean, we were not just like a little bit like we did everything together. And even that my friend telling me and then me realizing all of the signs that were right in front of my face. But I just I wasn't looking for it because she, you know, she kept it to herself and she hit it really well and she would act happy and we'd go out and, you know, if we'd all go out for dinner, she would eat. I just didn't know what was happening, you know, when she excused herself from the table. Yeah. And I mean, we do get you get really good at hiding it. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember I went through a phase where. I had lost a drastic amount of weight. So I just wore baggy clothes. So people wouldn't notice how much weight I had actually lost. Right. Um, and yeah, it, it definitely got easier once I left home because then I could just completely skip meals and I wouldn't have to be all sneaky, sneaky about it and like hide food or then go and, you know, purge or, 
my mom and my dad, they're, 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 they're wonderful parents, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if they were, if I were to talk to them about it now, how they would feel about it, but I know we did have a good conversation about it after, after this play and mm-hmm. they did get better at kind of like checking in and stuff. Um, there were definitely some signs that they, that they missed some glaringly obvious signs. I remember there were two occasions. Once when I was 15 and I worked at McDonald's and I actually passed out at work, um, I was handing a client, a customer, their change, and I just fell on the ground um, because I was undernourished. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the same thing happened at work again when I worked at Tim Hortons. I was running the drive-thru and I passed out and went to the hospital and... You know, you tell everyone, I don't, I don't know why. Maybe I, maybe I'm just feeling sick and I had blood work done and it showed that I was anemic. And so they were like, Oh, you know, okay. Yeah. She's got anemia. Here's what we're going to do to like try and fix that and increase your iron and all that. So but, even uh, doctors didn't question you or think, you know, were there ever, was there ever a time where a doctor was like, you know, you're pretty underweight or, and nobody really picked up on any of this then? No, no. I mean, at that point when those happened, I wasn't. I wasn't too at a weight where it was like where I was like bone thin. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm not I'm not going to use numbers, but it, 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 just it, wasn't it made it really then. easy. Yeah, and I mean, I was also a figure skater, and so you know there was yeah yeah put it all together, people just sense. figured it was yeah I was just I was a figure skater, and that that was the figure skater physique. Um, mm-hmm. Once it wasn't until yeah, like I would say like my twenties late late teens like once I went to university where I really started to to go and lose a lot of weight and I became obsessed with going to the gym um and uh that's kind of when I lost the most weight so let's fast forward now to when you're getting massage I have a couple questions on this so you injure your back at the canoe shop your boss says go get a massage you're like okay and you're really reluctant you're having anxiety about the whole thing do you disclose to your massage therapist about the eating disorder I didn't at first um but after after a couple treatments uh I did tell her uh Uh because I was because I I wanted to tell her like this is something I never would have thought would be helpful for that but i i have this i have this and i'm i'm starting to notice that this massage is making me feel better it's starting to to ease my anxiety it's starting to really help me connect with with my body and i knew i had to tell her especially that day when i got off the table and i felt my my stomach growl and i was like i need to i need to feed myself i need to nourish my body and and actually listening to my body and not my eating disorder and um, so she thought that that was pretty, pretty cool, pretty, pretty profound as well. So she, she did have that disclosed about me after, mm-hmm. after a few treatments. Are you at this point ready to be like, I don't want to be sick anymore? In other words, I'm trying to figure out with the massage itself and that grounded, connected feeling that you had, is that something that happens because you're accepting of the possibility of this happening, even though, or you're ready for, you're ready for that change? Or can this type of change just happen without you being open to the idea of, I need change, I want change? Can you, can you actively have the doors closed and then have that effect? That's a good question. For me, I can only speak to my experience. For me, I, I was definitely open because I had been living with this for so long and I had been trying to get better. And I would constantly relapse. Mm-hmm. So when I started noticing that I was actually enjoying the massage and what it was like, I became very open to it helping me get better. And I mean, it wasn't just the massage that helped me get better. Like, I, I, it's not like I suddenly stopped going to therapy and, you know, and all those kinds of things. Um, because those are absolutely essential. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but this it was definitely that like forward. missing piece yeah. because I had been in therapy for so long and I would keep relaxing. And then all of a sudden I discovered body work and massage and uh, well, yeah, it was exactly everything I've already, I've already said. So for me, I was open to it. This speaks really well to the, uh, the connection between your mental and physical health. Like you were getting, you were getting therapy. So you were working on that, that component, but um, before getting massage, because you had mentioned at the beginning that the reason that you felt it helped you is like Mark said as well. um, You had this sudden connected and grounded feeling. You felt connected to your body when you were sick, when you were at the peak of being really, really sick. 
was that what it felt like? Did you feel completely disconnected from your own body? Like it wasn't even it wasn't even yours? Like, would you look in the mirror and like, this is not not me? Like, I, I don't know if I'm making that making that make sense. But did you feel yeah. disconnected from it? And then the massage somehow brought that back together for you? Yeah, yeah, I would say that you know, exactly what happened. I mean, I, I felt extremely disconnected. I felt extremely numb. You know, I would just, you know, and you turn, I turned myself off to any physical need or want many, many days, nights looking in the mirror and just being like, I don't know who this person is and feeling very disconnected. So there was mm-hmm. something about lying with my body for an hour in a quiet room having someone their their hands actually on different parts of my body and while they're working on it I have to focus on that yeah you're feeling it you're experiencing yeah, it, it brings it brings the awareness exactly yeah. I was just like okay like that's how this is okay like uh, she's working on my low back she's working on my legs um I never let her work on my stomach um because that's my and even to this day I don't I don't get my my abdominal. I don't do abdominal massage. I know how amazing, like, and how beneficial it can be, but I don't do it because it's an, an incredibly triggering part of my body. Um, so I never let her work on that. But yeah, just sitting with my body and really connecting to every area that she's bringing my attention to, and like, what does it feel like? What does it? What does it mean? What does it? It was just this whole all of a sudden I was connected to this body that I, and I was getting reacquainted with this body that I had completely lost touch with for, and didn't know for over, over a decade. Cause I had just been so, I just turned myself off to it. I don't know how else to say it. It's like you painted a picture that just kind of really made me understand the feel. I mean, I've, I've never dealt with something like an eating disorder. I, I've dealt with anxiety, but nothing like, like what you're describing, but the way you've described it, it just, I don't know, it somehow just made me really appreciate and understand what somebody could be dealing because I can't, I, I can't imagine it. So I'm just thinking, you know, myself mm-hmm. as a human, I wake up and my stomach's growling. I don't know how people turn that off. Like Mark can attest to this. I get fucking hangry. Like I need to eat. So I like, I don't understand how you can turn that off, but just as I'm listening to you, I'm like, okay, like just completely dissociating from your own physical self. I don't know. I'm like kind of blown away right now, but it it makes me feel really good as a massage therapist to think like we could have such an effect on people that way. It's not that I didn't know that, but hearing somebody's personal account of it, I'm, like it's amazing to me. We're fucking amazing. We need to get back to work. I know, right? You know, and I, because of this past experience, and I'm very open about it now. So when people ask me like, what made you want to become a massage therapist? I mean, I'll, I'll tell them. I, I won't go into huge detail because we're in the middle of a massage, but, but I'll, I'll tell them. And, and then sometimes, and that, and a lot of the times that's opened up for some people to tell me their story and how massage affects them. And, you know, I, I've worked with a lot of people that they primarily come to see me because of their depression, their anxiety. And mm-hmm. I've really focused my, my practice towards towards that and one of the reasons I love massage just so goddamn much because for what it did to me but also just like how different it can look and like how I mean yes we have a scope of practice and everything but our scope of practice is actually huge so yeah yeah it's it's just so incredible you know people think you know my back hurts I'm gonna go for a massage and they never think that I'm struggling with an eating disorder and I don't know, you know, and I don't know what to do. That massage could actually be helpful for that. It can be a part of your treatment plan for so many things. It's so complimentary to so many things. All I was, you know, I was thinking of as she was talking about, um, you know, being aware and the person's working on her stunt or working on her legs yes, and working on her low back. That's exactly what you're talking about. Sue, right? That's not, I, That's what I, I, was, I didn't know anything. I oh, I was thinking of it. Uh, so I don't know if you've heard any episodes that we've done with um, Sue Rue. She also has her own <laughs> podcast. Love it's Sue. Love Yourselves. But Sue is potentially partnering up with us on a project that we're, it's coming out and I won't give any details about it because we haven't announced it yet. But um, Sue works 
primarily in people's abdominals, actually. And she her practice is really focused on fascia and dealing with anxiety. Mm. And she's actually developing material to teach therapists actually on how to work on themselves and in their own abdominals and work with their fascia to deal with their anxiety. And so her name kept popping into my head as you were talking. Because Sue's all about that connection. Like the other night, oh, that'd had, be awesome. you had like, your phone conversation with her. And I'm like, when you were telling me about the phone conversation, like, pause, pause, pause. Did she say this? Stop in the moment. Just feel the moment. Be and she the did. Moment. She did tell me that. <laughs> I was like, I yeah, Sue's a mom. And so when uh, she called me, I was like, oh my God, you caught me at the perfect time. I'm sitting on my couch with my feet up drinking a beer as my kids play in the other room and they're not talking to me. And yeah, that's when Mark was like, did Sue tell you to like stop and breathe and enjoy the moment? I'm like, yes, yes, she did. <laughs> But you know what? I think that when this project does actually come to life, I'm I, I want you to to come and take part in this because I think maybe that's something you know I I can appreciate you not wanting other people to work in your abdominals, but hey, maybe maybe you can figure out a way to do it on your own. Totally, yeah, yeah. My I kind of like perked up when you said that. I'm like, that sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I want to know about I want to know about the East Coast. Yeah. We love the East Coast. Yeah, tell me. You said you took off for six weeks. Yeah. Um, So I signed up uh, to be a woofer. I signed up with woofing. I don't know if you know what woofing is. So it stands for Worldwide Opportunity on Organic Farm. So it's basically you volunteer to work on people's farms Mm -hmm. and they let you, they feed you and they shelter you. And in exchange for that, you, you help them out on their farm. So I took the train from Toronto to Truro, Nova Scotia. And I worked uh, on a farm for like two weeks in Upper Stewiak, Nova Scotia. And then where did I go from there? I went down to Halifax for a little bit. Uh, and then the bulk of my of my time, I went and I house sat in uh, a place called Pooch Cove in Nova Scotia. And uh, I actually got to house sit for this older German woman. And she lived in this old like over 100 years old like fisherman's house on a cliff overlooking the ocean like I would wake up and I'd see icebergs wow um so and she was she stayed with me for the first few days and kind of to show me the ropes because she had like a little hobby farm like she had chickens and she had some goats um that she that I was gonna take care of uh and then and then yeah she was gone and so I had her house to myself for like three weeks and uh and yeah, the East Coast Trail was like right along there. So lots of hiking and yeah, it was just right on the ocean. And so there was lots of tea and lots of wood burning fire throughout the day because it was, I was there rainy a lot of the time. But yeah, it, it was just by myself. I just did this solo trip and I completely drained my bank account. And then when I ran out of money, I came home and enrolled in massage school. This is a really incredible story because, again, it does have to do with yourself needing body work, but not in the way that we always hear, you know, like, oh, I had a sports injury or, you know, I post-surgery. This was you were told to get a massage because of an actual injury and it did so much more for you. And it's just incredible to hear something like that because I don't think I've a- actually ever met anyone who said that their journey with massage therapy started because of their mental health. Mm-hmm. Like it's, mm. it's pretty awesome. Yeah. And I mean, I try to bring that into my practice and I think that's why I attract the clientele that I do um, because I've had this, you know, I'd say like unconventional experience with massage um, that, that, yeah, I, I feel like I just, I, I become, I'm very in tune with that aspect for a lot of people. And so I attract those clients or I, I keep those clients that um, really benefit from body work for, for more broad reasons and more, yeah, for their mental health and uh, especially working with, you know, and working with pregnancy and postpartum. I, I do work with a lot of people that are going through postpartum depression and perinatal anxiety. And it's really fantastic. I, I love, I love massage and I'm, eternally grateful for what it's done for me. So I guess I don't have to ask this. You plan on going back to work when all of this is said and done and we're allowed to work again, right? You're not jumping ship and switching careers or closing your doors? No. Okay. No way. I 
I have plans, Amanda, in this world. I, I, I'm not, no way. I, I will be back as soon as they tell me that, that we're allowed to go back. Yeah, we're already talking at the clinic about what we're going to be doing and how it's going to look. And so that once, yeah, we get the okay, we can just, we can just start up. I'll be grabbing my masks and my Lysol and skipping over to the office. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming for you guys. I can't wait. Yeah. It's actually been really yeah. hard. I was just saying to Mark, like, obviously, I'm not going to do anything that I'm not allowed to do. I'm not going to start working before I'm allowed to. But in the last couple of weeks, now that I think people are over this, you know, people are ready to get back to some form of normalcy and some form of social life again. I've had so many clients messaging me like, okay, if I don't tell anyone, can I just come for a treatment? I'm like, no, I'm sorry, I can't yeah. work yet. But it has been honestly, the the thing that's keeping me excited is all of these people who are who want to come back in and get treatment. It doesn't seem, you know, I was I was wondering at the beginning, are people even going to want to come back when this is over? Are they going to want to be in such close quarters with me? And by the sounds of it, yeah, people are excited for me to get back to work. So I'm pumped. Yeah, I'm not I'm not worried at all. I know there's a lot of speculation going on on all the Facebook pages and stuff. But I mean, I, at least for the, my clients, they will, they are going to come. And like the people that come to our clinic, like they, they will be here. Um, and yeah, same as you, Amanda, I have people emailing me and, you know, what if you just like came to my house and we didn't tell anybody? And I, I won't, like I my, won't put it my through my insurance. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I'm, and I feel so bad because, you know, it's my clients that they're in like their third trimester and they're so uncomfortable. And, and so, and so I say like, Hey, like, let's have a video call and I can, you know, they all have partners at home. And so I was like, I can, you know, show you some things that your, your partner can do. Um, that might alleviate that. And no one's taken me up on that. I, I was surprised. Um, but, oh, that is uh, surprising. Because you're offering like virtual doula services right now, right? Since you can't actually treat. Are you doing that? Um, I'm offering it. Um, COVID happened. Like, yeah, it was it was really unfortunate. So I had my summer was on the verge of being fully booked for doula clients. And then it was just, just with the timing. Um right before the contracts were signed, COVID happened. And so they all kind of backed out. It was very much, well, I don't want to sign anything and pay anything right now, just because we're not sure right. um, if you're even going to be allowed in the room. So let's just play it by ear. And we'll see how, you know, if, if things change by the time we give birth, and you're available, like we, we love you, and we want you to be there. But um, so my summer kind of just complete my year just kind of completely dried up so I don't have any birth clients right now um I did I have been spending this time I developed a like a comfort measures workshop like virtual workshop for birth partners so um and I just I just launched that like at the beginning of this week uh, that might have been what I saw because yeah when you emailed me I mean I was doing a billion things but I did I did quickly visit your website just to see like where are you located and so yeah Mm -hmm. that must have been what I saw your your virtual workshop yeah yeah so I have started offering that so we'll we'll see how that goes Uh, I'm definitely nervous I've never done a virtual workshop before and you know, I, I'm very much for like in-person human connection. And so it'll be, it'll be interesting, but it's definitely, it's definitely needed right now. You're going to sweat. You'll get through it, but you're going to sweat. Mark and I did our first virtual like live stream course a few weeks ago because, you know, people are just sitting around and they had signed up to take these workshops. So we thought, okay, what can we offer while we're waiting to reopen? And uh, the first couple that we did, we were sweating, but we got through it. And now Mark's like a pro now. I don't know if I'm as good. He's getting good. No, it's insane. Now we perfected it. We got like multi-camera setups and the whole bit. Yeah, he's, he's perfected it. Yeah. Yeah, that that would be me. That would be me. And uh, I can be like pretty verbose sometimes. And so that's like my big worry. And even coming and doing this, I was telling my partner, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can be like really verbose. I hope that I can, <laughs> I don't, um, I can be a lot more concise. And so I'm, I, but it's, I feel like it's like ripping off a bandaid, right? You just got to do it. You just got to do it. And then yep. it's done. And, yeah, once you get over that hurdle. So so we'll see we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I was chatting with another another doula last night or yesterday afternoon actually. Uh she's also a RMT doula and we were chatting because um she was also very devastated about the CCMH news. So when we were talking, uh she had mentioned that she was gonna be doing like a virtual, I don't know if it was a seminar or workshop or something in June. And she said the same thing to me, like, I don't know, I've never done this before. And I told her, you know what, it's it'll be hard the first time, but you'll get 
get through it. Nobody was expecting to have to provide things virtually. We, you know, we weren't expecting to be recording podcasts from our bedroom <laughs> with this makeshift <laughs> setup, but you, you figure it out and you just have to go forward. And I mean, I'm so thankful that I have Mark as my business partner because I might have just sat in the corner and cried and not know what to do, but he figured this shit out. <laughs> yeah, we were forced to figure it out very, very fast. But uh, yeah, you just got to do it. Is there anything else that you want to talk about, Lindsay? Anything that we didn't get to today? No, I mean, I feel like we covered a lot of stuff. You know, I just wanted to come on because I thought, you know, maybe if somebody else hears this, then it, it would just open up a, a realm that they never thought about with massage. And I'm, yeah, so I just thought sharing my story would be would be helpful and interesting. And, I don't think there's anything else I really, really wanted to say. I was just going to say, except for RMTs to, you know, maybe try to, I mean, I'm sure a lot of RMTs do it, but making, making sure your, your, your spaces are body positive spaces. And, um, I mean, I've had people tell me that their RMTs told them that they were, you know, too, too big for the table or they were too big to, you know, really get deep and fix their problem and just like stuff like that that oh. I can't really believe that people that RMTs are telling people and I'm sure they are the exception like they're definitely the those RMTs are definitely the exception and not the rule but um it just blew my mind when I would have clients tell me that I'm like are you serious no I'm like I, I nothing shocks me anymore though because like I've had clients tell me crazy things like that you know things that th other therapists or body workers have said to them so nothing really shocks me anymore but if you know you're a therapist listening, yeah, really watch your language. Like think about what you're saying to someone and I mean, just be be more careful with your words because you don't know how somebody's receiving the message. Like I definitely couldn't tell a client ever, you know, you're too big for the table or we can't fix your pro of course you can. Of course you can. I did have one more question and I and I don't want to keep cycling back to this and I don't want it to appear that I'm insensitive. And I'm only asking these types of questions because, you know, you sound like you're in great spirits now and everything else. I had someone on the podcast before. His name is Steven. And Steven is a recovered alcoholic and crack addict. And he went through rehab, in and out of rehab. And he's, he's clean. And he's clean and sober. And he had been, I think, for like eight to 10 years by the time he hit the podcast. And then I asked him about what is what is it like to be an alcoholic? What is it like to be a crack addict? And what I really want to know is, do you still consider yourself sick? Because like he said, it's a soul sickness what I have. And no matter how many years I'm clean and sober, I'm still sick. Are you still sick? I, I don't believe that I like I'm recovered. I don't um, I don't restrict anymore, but I, I, I feel like it is something that will always be a part of me and will always live with me. Um, I never, I never thought to word it like I, I am still sick and I will always be sick. Um, I've always just thought of it as it will never completely go away. Um, because I still have, I still have days and I still, I do still struggle with, um, depression and anxiety. I, I have it really well managed now. Um, but, um, I do still struggle and those, those eating disordered, those disordered eating thoughts still creep in. Yeah. And there are days when I'm, when I'm tested. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about how this quarantine is affecting people who, have eating disorders right now um, because when you have yeah. an eating disorder like your life becomes quite um you know you you, you kind of need that or I shouldn't say you I needed when I was in it because everyone's experience is different but like I, I I kind of needed that that scheduled I needed to be able to plan things out and like eating in front of other people made me nervous and so I, I've always just been thinking about this quarantine and how people might not have those outlets that they normally have I mean yes you can talk to your therapist on the phone there's telehealth and all that but it's very different and like for me like even the smallest disruption would just like send me into a spiral yeah um so I've been able to manage that pretty okay like I said my my, my mental health my eating disorder is really well managed now but I I think it's always going to be a part of my life and it's always going to be something that I actively have to um work at yeah, at managing. Yeah, and I think that's what Stephen meant as well. Like he's been clean and sober for a decade, but it's not that if, you know, he's out somewhere and everybody's drinking that the temptation doesn't exist for him or that, you know, those thoughts don't come back in. Of course it does because 
that, you know, that was part of his life for so long, but you know, you've got it managed and he's got it managed. And every day you guys just have to remember that you're, you're recovered. That's not your, that's not who you are anymore. I mean, it never was who you are. And now it's, you can, you take control of it. It's not controlling you, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Before we wrap up, I do want to say I really, really appreciated the, I don't know if it was like the second or third line of the email you sent where, you know, you've been home <laughs> and I I have to share this because it was so perfect that, I mean, it caught my attention right away and <laughs> it, that you said, you know, I've been home, I've been listening to the podcast a lot. I've been listening to you guys for a while and I've wanted to reach out with this story because I thought it was great, but I've always shied away and, you know, something inside me just said, fuck it, let me do it. And I was like yes yes girl fuck it let me just do it <laughs> that uh, that exact line is what caught my attention right away when you sent that email it's like yes let's talk <laughs> well I'm glad you I'm glad you enjoyed it but yeah I was that's exactly how I felt I was like you know fuck this like whatever I'll Let's just send the email and see what happens. There was one clinic I worked in and there was a sign up that I loved so much. And it's, I can't remember the exact words, but it was something like, if you don't ask the question, the answer is always no. And I was like, yeah, exactly. Like, what is the worst you're going to hear? If you want something, go for it. What's the worst that's going to happen? You're in the same spot that you were before, right? You know, what was the worst that's going to happen by you emailing us and saying, hey, I've got a story for you. What's the worst? We'd say, eh, not interested. But we were actually very interested. So thank you for finally mustering up the courage and sending us an email because I think this was a a very good topic. And I think a lot of RMTs are going to appreciate your story. Thank you again for, for having me. It's been great sharing it and finally chatting with you too. Oh yeah. Cause you talk, you talk to us, phone. you talk to us in your kitchen, right? Like you just respond <laughs> to things we say. I love that too. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. There are several, several episodes where I full on, I'm just like having conversations and Mark or you would ask a question and then like I respond and I'm like, oh yeah, wait, they're, they're, they're not talking to me. me. That's awesome. uh, Yeah. I've been, I've been sewing a lot. I'm sewing PPE for, for frontline workers. And so I'll just put the podcast on while I'm sewing for like hours and hours and stuff. Yeah. I was like, no, 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 they're cool. I can send this email now. Yeah. I can send it. It's good. Yeah. And you know what? We always, we always uh, appreciate people sending emails. Anybody, don't ever feel shy. Send us, send us whatever you got. You know, we like hearing all of these different ideas. And sometimes people have a story that I would never have even thought of. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Right on. Well, this has been fun. You guys have been listening to two massage therapists in a microphone. Peace.